Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are almost heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Okay, are you ready for this? Sure. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, this is. We started Almost Radical one year ago, and uh, I, this is our 50th episode. It's one year. It's that we thought we would do kind of like a little reflection piece. But I want to do this in an interesting way. And so, what I thought, Tim, tell me if this sounds kind of interesting or i don't know we have to try it and see if anything interesting happens but what if we just looked at our top 10 most downloaded episodes and played i'm literally just going to grab my phone i've said literally so many times um i'm going to grab my phone and play some random selection random piece of audio from each of the top 10 episodes we'll just kind of go through them um starting with number 10 working up to number one and then we can just kind of reflect, respond, add in other stuff we wanted to say on that episode. Does that sound good? So I think what you're saying is that we've reached the point where we will be podcasting old podcasts one year in. No, no, we're not doing the like, here's episode four again. Hope you enjoy it and then just play it. We're not going to do that. (laughs) But it will be our past selves playing through your phone speaker into a microphone with our present selves going out at some point in the future, which then our future selves later on will maybe also do a recording. It's like Inception. This is, I was going to say, this is getting very Inception-esque. I think basically I'm just going to play 30 seconds of audio. We can talk over it even. So it's not just going to leave someone hanging with the audio playing. We can laugh. We can cry. uh, Whatever feels right. Um, Okay, so let's just go to our top 10 we need that we need that voice like number 10 like sports center yeah uh okay so i'm going to our website almost what are our top 10 i don't know okay our top 10 most downloaded episodes starting with the starting with number 10 working our way up to number one uh which number one still kind of cracks me up at, at, that it's number one but okay starting with number 10 episode 33 silencing women Mm. let me play you a little sample of that i'm just i'm just going somewhere in the middle here hold on oh i can't imagine what it's like to be in a world that's as a woman i've been there as a man um as a woman that where you're being asked to basically pretend that isn't true right (laughs) and uh and then see it as somehow god's divine gift that's on the same level to these guys as the gospel right? Uh, the issues of homosexuality and gender roles for people involved in the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, that is on par with the gospel and levels of importance. Okay, so this is part of our gender series, obviously. If you haven't listened to that, head back into the episode 30s somewhere in there and uh, pick up the gender series. It, it was one of the most popular things we did, and I think that's telling because, um, and actually the next 
episode and our top 10 is also part of the gender series and a few of these are part of our gender series so we're going to be getting to some more of these but um yeah this one was called silencing women uh first corinthians 14 34 through 35 should i read it or i don't know you, you're not sold on this yet huh i mean i'm i'm here for it you're here okay monique Monique uses the 16-year-old slang all the time these days, and it's ruining me. Where does she learn all this? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the people she works with? Okay. I don't know. I've wondered that literally our entire marriage. Like, how does she know the things that she knows? I think it's Instagram. I think it's Instagram, because I've realized how out of touch Uh I get when I don't go on Instagram or Facebook. Gotcha. Okay. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And if you haven't listened to the gender series, or if you have, basically what we did was we went through some of the most popular verses that are used, they're pretty much all Paul, to kind of silence women in the church and say they can't be pastors, they can't be elders, they have some sort of limited role. Um, And we kind of just went through those, working to show a different angle show that's probably not what Paul actually meant. And maybe he's actually saying the complete opposite of that. Um, yeah. So that's what we did in the gender series. Tim, do you have anything else you want to say about first Corinthians 14? <laughs> Just curious whether uh, the episode titled silencing women cracked the top 10, uh, because of all the people out there who are tired of women being silenced or because a bunch of men thought this was going to be their uh, proof text podcast for why they get to continue silencing women in the church. <laughs> That's true. I, in the audio that we just played, we were bouncing off of the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood coming out with their – what, what which statement was it? There's so many statements. Uh, I kind of get them all confused. But what statement were we bouncing off of? Uh Oh, it was the, um, uh, the, I'm so glad I can't remember what they called it. <laughs> well, the natural statement was when they got in all this like gender complementarianism stuff. But then the other one was the social justice statement. Uh, that was the more recent one. Yeah. But what is it? It's like the statement on social justice or something. That, maybe that wasn't what we were bouncing off of. Anyways, um, there's been a lot of statements, uh, and we were bouncing off of one of them in this episode but okay let's just go to the next one because we have more um in the gender series coming up here okay so number nine was episode 35 called adam then eve we talked about first timothy 2 11 through 15 here's a sample of that episode wouldn't make sense to refer to plural women right if the if the idea was but a woman will be saved through childbearing and then it's referring to what she does, it would say, if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Right, right. The most logical understanding of the antecedent, which is the grammatical word for what the pronoun refers to, is husbands and wives. Oh. So Westfall's point is actually what Paul is saying is, women will be saved through childbearing, which again is a very real and legitimate concern, if they, husbands and wives, continue as Christians in faith, love, and holiness with self-control, which is implying, and, and this is just... Okay, okay. I I still don't fully understand that. Can you, or maybe i just forgotten because I haven't heard the episode in a while, but how are they saved through childbearing again? Uh, remember, it's like, um, it's all connected to like the big picture concern that we were trying to explore of uh, women being scared of super high mortality rates during childbirth. And so 
many of them would die. So getting pregnant was a scary idea. And then women didn't have control over their own sex lives or their own pregnancies. And so they're at the whims of men and culture, whether it was their husband or somebody else who uh, wanted to use them to bear children. And uh, so they were essentially, it seems uh, like a lot of the women were uh, looking in some ways to like moving away from sex and marriage altogether, basically to save themselves. And then possibly looking to the Artemis cult, uh, which was basically she was the goddess of protecting women through childbirth, which makes a whole lot of clear sense uh, out of the idea of them being saved, literally like kept from dying. Uh, during childbirth. And then we remember we pointed out uh, the implication uh, in self-control is that basically that's uh, implying that the man uh, has a role to play, the husband, uh, in saving the woman by essentially this kind of... Oh, like if he doesn't have sex with her all the time, then she won't be getting pregnant and then she won't die. Exactly, yeah. And it's... Like if he has self-control. Yeah. It's not just like having sex all the time it's like the idea that you're using your wife or wives as uh what just essentially happened throughout american slavery uh, as white slave owners using female slaves to essentially create more assets uh to Mm. bump up the equity of the the family right so it's basically it seems like this is this is one of those classic passages which people today use to subjugate women, but actually looks like what Paul was doing is trying to chastise men who are subjugating women, uh-huh. and essentially implying that to do so is uh, is not to be Christ-like. I think that was what was so empowering about the gender series and what we heard from so many listeners, which a lot of people came to our show first through the gender series and then have discovered other aspects or gone back to the beginning and listened to other episodes, that kind of thing. But was that it kind of flipped some of these passages on their head or they felt like these, these passages were used against them. And Paul was like against them their whole life and was keeping them out of positions in the church that they wanted to be in almost like people wanted them to be able to do more, but Hey, but this, you know, Paul said this and Jesus said this and here's what the Bible says. So we, we can't, you know, and it was like this handcuff and, um, I think what I heard and what I felt through the gender series was just this like unlocking of those handcuffs and, and kind of uh, de-weaponizing the Bible, which is a a word we use a lot on the show to show that like, this isn't what Paul ever meant. And maybe he meant the complete opposite. Um, I don't know. That's what, that's what I heard back from a lot of people. Um, It just seems like a really freeing series. Um, Yeah. Should we, should we do the next one? Yeah, I have a thought, but I'll save it for another. We we have a couple more gender ones, so mm-hmm. yeah, save it. Okay, so this one goes back um, towards the beginning, one of our um, earlier episodes. We had Mako Nagasawa on talking about penal substitution. And this one's been actually a really popular episode. I know that when we had our gathering in Portland back in November, that, that's what a lot of people were talking about um, was the substitutionary atonement and Mako's episode. So um, I'm going to play just a little bit here. Let's go Let's go to the middle, I guess, or I don't know. Let's go three quarters of the way through. Here we go. That, that would be a retributive model, but a restorative model is, well, there are consequences. I remember this. But I want your buy-in to undo the damage you've caused, uh, and I want to partner with you to do that because ultimately this is what helps you learn what it means to be a, a kind person. <laughs> a repentant person 
and uh, and so I, I think it starts really, really clear. And yeah, 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 because he was talking about like restorative justice being essentially. So the, the idea is like you know, like the bumper stickers. And I think we said this on the episode of like I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. It's this idea of like the atonement is just God used Jesus to to figure out this sin problem, and so like we're taking care of now. As long as we believe in Jesus, we're good to go. Our salvation is secure. That kind of thing. Um, and the, uh, the penal substitutionary atonement is like Jesus took the penalty that we were supposed to take. And so now the penalty is removed. And so we're, we're good as long as we believe in that. But he's talking about this much more robust picture of like, how do we actually become better human beings? <laughs> how do we become better versions of ourselves? What's the long term like play here? And how does the atonement actually play a huge part in that? Right. Yeah. And he's, uh, that soundbite was from him telling a practical example about his kid uh, did something at school. I can't remember if it was like writing on the bathroom door or uh, if he was mean to someone, something. And he was just talking about very practically the difference between having a restorative uh, approach, not just to criminal justice or theological justice, but just to life and and goodness, rather than a punitive or retributive uh, approach is not seeing punishment as good in and of itself or punishment for punishment's sake, right? Uh, Just as a negative incentive. Um, But actually him as a dad trying to help uh, his son become a better person, uh, a kinder person, a healthier person, a more loving person, uh, by actually owning what he did, learning from it, uh, understanding how his actions affected other people, and uh, trying to to help his son navigate, uh, kind of like as a as a partner or spiritual guide uh, into choosing to to live a different way. You know. So how's that? How's that atonement? Like, how does that? It's like, was Jesus? Did he die and everything? So like, we could learn how to be better humans, and is that all atonement? Like, I know that's just one way to look at it, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Well, he was connecting that and uh, to the underlying question of. Did Jesus die so that he could placate God's anger toward us? In other words, did God want to kill us all and Jesus stood in the way uh, and took the bullet, right? So did Jesus save us from God? And to be fair, I think people would say, so God had to because of his justice, right? He had to kill us all. It's not a he wants to necessarily. I've heard it always as this like he had to because he's, you know, it starts getting into like he's subservient to his justice. Right. But like, okay. So I'm just trying to be fair. Like he had to kill us all. And then did Jesus step in the way, take the bullet for us? Okay. Continue. <laughs> it's so funny that you think that's like being fair. Cause that's even to me, that's even worse. <laughs> like somehow you have this guy. I, I think it is worse. If you, if you think about it, like that he's subservient to his subservient to his justice, I think yeah. it is worse. Well, and not just a, justice. A weaker... It's a God that's subservient to what seems like a petty retributive, uh, fragile justice, right? It's like we, you, you know, like I remember I got my mouth washed out when I was a kid for saying, oh my God, because my parents thought that that's what it meant to take the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were, you know, going good old Ten Commandments and they weren't beating me. They washed my mouth out with soap. I think I'd rather uh, get hit, honestly. But uh, it's like, I, I used the Lord's name in vain, which has nothing to do with saying, oh my God. But I say, oh my God, and that offends God who is like, perfect and holy and therefore God has to kill me and it would be unethical according to some or like below 
God's holiness to not kill me, right? But then somehow him killing Jesus, God killing Jesus instead of me makes God great. And then a lot of us are going to be like, actually, that would make God awful. It might make Jesus cool, Mm. uh, but that would make the God that we're simultaneously claiming that Jesus is uh, to be this awful, arbitrary, uh, basically, a lot of us would look at it and go, that form of justice is actually uh, injustice. And it doesn't help anything, right? So, but that's where, you know, the atonement theories, and we could talk about, honestly, this for ages and ages because it's the center really of Christian theology. There's like, how should we think about Jesus and the cross? But then there's this kind of a second question of like, well, how did the early church and the New Testament writers think about Jesus and the cross? Uh, The conversation we haven't gotten into yet is, Mm. do those need to be the same? Or is there the possibility that there, there was certainly a variety of ways to articulate what was happening when Jesus lived and died? Um, but is it possible that some of those ways in our culture, in our day, have toxic ideological uh, ramifications to them that maybe didn't uh, in a day where, for instance, you had child sacrifice as a normal part uh, of the mythological uh, framework, right? Um, where now we look at child sacrifice as this egregious, offensive, horrific idea, right? Should that play any part in our theology? Um, so there's there's that whole piece, but then it was like, okay, how? What's the underlying logic of justice when we say justice? Uh, underlying the way we think about the cross, and that's where Mako would say it's it's basically, uh, by and large, either you have a retributive view where God needs to get back at the bad people and put them in their place, or you have a restorative view where God is like a surgeon trying to help and heal and fix us, right? So there's, I mean, it's kind of endless. You could go through all sorts of, you know, biblical scholarship and looking at different ideas and how they connect and what different authors were saying. Uh, But I would just put simply, even if you don't want to do the biblical theology, uh, (laughs) in life, even if you're not even a Christian, in life, uh, holding a restorative view uh, where the the goal and aim of discipline is to help and heal and make someone a better, more loving person for their own good and for society's good is a much better way to live mm-hmm. than feeling like somehow getting people back or, you know, an eye for an eye, you cause someone pain, so we'll cause you pain. Thinking that will ever fix our problems is is pretty silly. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, and we need to especially in America, and I know we have a lot of listeners that aren't in the United States, 
we need to think about this when it comes to our criminal justice system. And we did to get into that with Mako as well. Okay, before we move on, I, this question came to me just as we were um, talking about atonement and atonement theory and Mako's episode. But, you know, we hear so much about grace. Um, everything's grace. And, you know, what, what, what's your take on, give me your hot take, Timmy's hot take on grace and the way it's often talked about in reform circles. Um, like, what's your, I don't know, do you have any thoughts it, it's been like kind of a, a little bit of a trigger word for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just curious what your, what your hot take is. It's super interesting. We had these conversations in Portland about uh, like Christian ideas, but uh, like words and phrases that oh, yeah, yeah. we used to use so much and were big parts of our lives. And because of that are now trigger words uh, in ways. Uh, so like forgiveness is one for a lot of people because of the way that's been used mm-hmm. as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, to hear the idea of grace as one. Um, I got a lot of thoughts. One is just the way grace is used in so much of Protestant theology is that it's opposed to, and this is the way Paul's been interpreted uh, for a long time, basically from Luther up until this kind of wave of uh, the new perspective, Mm -hmm. new ways of kind of rethinking what Paul was actually saying, is grace is opposed to law. But what that actually means in a lot of people's minds is grace is opposed to whatever the Jews were doing. Right. Uh, so everything in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, and what Judaism was, what Jewish culture and religious culture was, was the opposite of grace. And then Jesus came to enlighten us to the end of that and the beginning of grace. So that's led to all sorts of anti-Semitism throughout the ages, and uh, and it's just flat out wrong. But one interesting thing is anybody who actually reads Jewish scholars, present-day scholars, or quotations of, for instance, the rabbis uh, and and uh, writers who were reflecting on the Old Testament. Grace is just as predominant a theme in (laughs) Judaism as it is in Christianity. So uh, that whole premise that it's like a Christian concept, right? That uh, God being gracious uh, is something we don't have until Jesus. Uh, That's just a complete uh, farce, which has been super toxic uh, in religious history. Okay, next episode was episode 32, Husbands and Slave Masters. So let's do just a random selection. Here we go. In this culture where a significant power differential will exist, and then he speaks to the person without power, and he encourages them and empowers them, not to buck off the shackles again and seize their own power, they're to, to follow Christ, to give up power, even though they already don't have much. But then he speaks to the, the other side of that equation to the one with power and we don't have time to get into all the details but he uses oftentimes for instance feminine language to speak okay okay so this is another common theme on our show so it's kind of fun that we actually randomly played a audio sample talking about power but you were talking about how i don't remember which you probably remember which passage it was but paul is is talking to those who have the power and trying to put constraints on that power and um and we often, I think, look at it and say, look, he's telling women there like what to do. But in, in reality, he's more telling them what they already do. And he's telling those in power, the men, he's putting constraints on the power that they do have. Am I kind of summarizing that correctly? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. This was in Ephesians 5 and 6 and then Colossians 3 and a little bit of four, which are very similar passages. So he did them all in one episode. And, you know, it's one of those, I think the gender series is interesting. 
um, from like a, a study perspective because it's one of those where after after an argument is made, you know, some of the arguments we made in the podcast were uh, were my own, but a lot of them have been made by other people elsewhere. Uh, especially, we pulled a lot from uh, Cynthia Long Westfall. But uh, it's it's one of those where once you see that argument, it just seems so obvious and simple, and it it's like, how did I? miss that for so long, yeah. you know, and then I just kind of feel stupid, uh, retrospectively. So this was one where all we did and it was kind of encapsulated in the title is point out that in both these passages, if you zoom out and, and like try to read a little bit in context, you'll see that the, the whole husband, wife pair, those two people in that kind of relationship is lumped together with children and parents and slaves and masters. And so if you're going to uh, sift through the part about husbands and wives uh, and try to pull some sort of, you know, complementarian, patriarchal ideology, uh, you probably shouldn't ignore the fact that in context, husbands are put in parallel with slave masters, right? So if that's what you want to do, then you are on the side of the theological tradition, uh, which endorses the right to own human beings. Uh, if that's not what you want to do, um, then you need to recognize that, that actually Paul was comparing the the power that husbands have in a patriarchal world to the power that slave masters have uh, in a uh, non-democratic, uh, slave-based uh, society and economy. And if you think slavery is egregious, which it is, you should also think that patriarchy is egregious, which it is. So Paul was uh, essentially putting those two things side by side. And uh, so that was kind of the, the basic premise, and then you could get into a lot of the details. Okay, cool. Uh, we have a couple more on the gender series, so let's get back to that in just a second. The next episode is our first episode. And so I'll play a selection of that, and then we can just kind of reflect on the whole show, I guess. A lot of people what they get left with after all those domino, dominoes fall down is kind of the sense that there's nothing really to hold on to, the sort of waving around looking for some sort of foundation. And it, it gets to the point, and we're sympathetic here, uh, we've both been through, it gets to the point where you feel like it's kind of a battle between you and what it feels good and right and true and, uh, and where you see justice. It feels like a battle between that and the Bible and, uh, and where a lot of people have gone is uh, is you feel like you kind of have to walk away from the Bible. And some people, that means walking away from Christianity. Some others, uh, it just means trying to kind of figure it out on their own. And we've just come to a place where we've been able to see enough missing pieces of stuff we just had never been taught in church and, uh, and ideas and paradigms that some of them are, are older than the church itself uh, but are new to us, just weren't a part of our Western Protestant tradition, but have actually led us back to the place where the Bible's our greatest ally in this, uh, in the struggle. Ooh, stop it there, Nate. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> first of all, we called this ex pastors in a shed. Uh, so first question to you is now if a year later, if we had started the podcast this year instead of last year, uh, 
what would you have changed about the way we started and introduced Almost Critical and, uh, and our own reasons for doing it? Second question, based on that little audio bite we just heard, is uh, I know you and I have both been on kind of different uh, roller coaster rides in our relationship with the Bible. Uh, but I know I've gone through many different moods <laughs> over the last year and how I feel about the thing, whether I care about it or not. And that idea that I just heard my past self say that it feels like our greatest ally. I was like, Oh, does it really interesting? Uh, so is that true for you now or was it true throughout the year or how has that changed? <laughs> I'm just laughing too, because I remember at the time when we recorded, thinking um, and knowing and talking about the fact that some of the things that we say and think and what, I mean, we're, we're humans, we're, we're talking, we're thinking out loud, um, you know, are going to change over the course of this year. And when we listen back in 10 years and 20 years or whatever, um, they're, they're going to change. And, um, but it doesn't mean that we don't, I think the fear is like, then don't say anything. Um, But I think the reason, the whole reason we were doing this show is because we felt like we had, um, experienced enough and not just personally experienced enough, but, um, heard from so many other people who were all kind of in the same boat of growing disillusioned with, um, their faith communities or their, um, the theology that they, you know, believed or were taught or however they got it, the theology that they were handed and were teaching other people, whatever they've become disillusioned with it. And oftentimes, and this is the real piece for me that I think, looking back on the show now, if I was to describe, you know, sort of why um, we're doing the show would be this other piece of those that are actually being hurt by interpretations of the Bible and how important that is to, especially if those interpretations are pretty easy to, some of those interpretations are pretty easy to kind of debunk or show like, Hey, there's a better way to look at this. We should be doing that work to help those people that are being hurt. Right. I think what I, what I, meant when I said that is something I still mean and the gender series is a good example of it is basically what many people and some of the loudest voices in our world and especially the evangelical church as a whole says that the people who wrote the texts that make up our bible meant to say are simply wrong and when you do more homework and better reading uh, many times you realize that what the authors were trying to say is much better and less toxic than what people have claimed that they're trying to say, right? So right. Uh, the gender series was just a constant set of, <laughs> we've been taught that this verse means something egregious and then we all have to deal with it in our different ways, but actually what if this uh, means something that's actually even beautiful, uh, potentially? But the reason I kind of cringe when I heard myself say that is I have also gone the other direction and texts that I used to think were saying something beautiful uh, I actually now find cringeworthy. And so in my studies, I've kind of found, I've kind of found both. Right. So I think that was coming into context of like, let's, uh, let's re-engage in theology, uh, to try to free people from, uh, oppressive ideologies, especially in evangelical church world. Uh, but when I heard myself say that, I was like, Oh, let's, let's not whitewash this thing. Like there's some, stuff in there. And, uh, I think it's going to be one of our series coming up in the new year. Um, talking about basically, I think to, you know, we, th- the word biblical gets thrown around all the time, Yeah, but I'm going to make, I'm gonna make a case for, uh, 
there being precedent within the biblical texts themselves that it is biblical to critique and move away from ideologies that are in the Bible itself, and that you can see evidence of that happening from one text to another, for example, in the Old Testament. So there are some things where I go, ooh, this text is not an ally. And then there are other ways where, like, even in the gender series, back to that, like, I don't, <laughs> I was going to ask you this, whether or not you feel hopeful or de- defeated after doing the gender series because you basically you're like oh cool so these texts don't mean what what we've been taught they do but 95 percent of the world around us still believes that they do and they're not going to be convinced and that just i don't know if that makes it worse for me (laughs) you know it's like it was hopeful for a minute and then you're like well people don't care or a lot of people don't care and people with the the microphones uh are going to go to their grave um, you know, claiming that patriarchy is biblical. Uh, so then I'm just like, I don't know. Well, is it a, is it an ally if people don't actually care what the authors meant and they get to to spin it any way they want, right? And maybe we should wrap up with this after we do these next few here. But like, there's that whole piece and we've talked about on the show before how oftentimes those that are then going to you know not care or be able to explain away how your interpretation is wrong and we'll go back to the one that is that held by 95% or whatever. Like they can do that by calling those people. That's why we call the show almost heretical. They can do that by calling those people and pushing them outside as heretics. And it's something the church has done many times before. And it's always done, you know, in tears and with the best of intentions. And, um, you know, I, I did it. So I know how to, I know how to do that. But, uh, and you're praying for him and you, you care about him, but, you know, but they've gone astray and all these, you know, all these things that we say, um, and so it's just, that's what makes me, I guess, so um, frustrated, I guess, is that uh, you, you're, you're then pushing those people outside to, so you don't have to deal with them. Because um, if you can label them, if you can, we talked about this on like the Slippery Slope episode. Was there an episode called Slippery Slope or something like that? Yeah. Anyways, we, um, we talked about how if you can basically get someone outside the circle, then you can just point at them and say, you know, like, yeah, but look, they're outside this safe circle of the things that we all believe. Um, Anyways, that's totally a soapbox there, but let's get back to that. We still have to kind of like wrap up. We'll come back to more of our... Say the numbers. I think it's fun when you're like number five. Okay, okay, I will, I will. And we'll come back and talk more about the... um, the whole show and our thoughts on that just at the end here, but... Okay, so the next one is uh, number five. (laughs) Oh, that's my phone dying. Okay, we got 10% (laughs) battery left to get through these. Uh, okay. Episode 30, Jesus ended hierarchy. And then, um, the next one actually is also the gender series as well. Episode 31. So episode 30 and 31, they were called Jesus ended hierarchy and authority over her own damn head. Do we put the hierarchy one in the gender series or was that kind of like an offshoot? That was in, that was in the gender series. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to play these ones back to back. All right. So I'll play a little bit of episode 30 and then a little bit of episode 31 and we'll kind of jam on those to wrap up the gender series reflection. Cool cool like if your christianity isn't anti-hierarchical you will just naturally default to climbing the ladder yeah like you will you will use whatever gifts skills talents energy you have to like persistently subtly climb the social ladder okay so that's for that one and now so remember that don't forget we'll reflect on that unless you have a quick thought no keep it rolling okay okay Episode 31. It's it's one of the only sensible ideas. Back in Genesis 6, you have one of the chapters of the story of what's gone wrong with the world is that women are not only 
unsafe sexually, relationally, socially with men, but they're also in Genesis six, they get raped by these angelic beings. Oh dear. And the point is to depict how cruel the world has become for women. Right? That's what that's one of the Wait, do we want to do a different selection? Let me let me find a different selection here. Uh, no, that's my favorite, man. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, then those are the two selections, episode thirty and episode thirty one. Give me some thoughts. Oh, interesting. I mean, they're pretty different. Uh, actually, I have, I have different thoughts. Um, okay, so let's do this then. Episode 30, hierarchy one. Give me a thought there. Yeah. So I found both in some like emails that we got from listeners and in other conversations uh, I've had that this episode the and the idea basically that Jesus was fully anti-hierarchical or that uh, that early Christianity was itself like utterly subversive to hierarchical power relationships. This is where I step beyond a lot of people's uh, comfort zone or willingness to go with me. So uh, there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm with you. And I like in the gender stuff, like Paul wasn't a raging patriarchal jerk, but like completely anti-hierarchical. Like, don't we need people in positions of power like we need Lee and it just seems like there's some piece here and I think I understand it um but there's some piece here where that's like too far uh for some and so I think this episode as much as any I can remember got some significant pushback even from people who were who were tracking and were like happy with the conversation this like crossed a line right and so I get it I understand it that's fine I could be wrong uh, but I also think we, something we said in these conversations was just like, we've never tried it, you know, like most of us have never experienced, uh, any reasonable, uh, or sizable community where people are, are actually practically and regularly, uh, trying to do away with power dynamics. Um, we really are trying to hold on to power over other people. I've I've tasted just enough uh, in kind of experimental uh, communities of people who bought into uh, this idea of Christianity as anti-hierarchical that convinced me thoroughly in the other direction that it it's totally possible. It's actually not even that hard, <laughs> and it's really beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that was my, my biggest thought from this one is like, um, this is one of the things I want to scream loudest on top of uh, my soapbox. And yet it's one of the things that I think has been least, uh, least received, even by, by people who are open to new ideas, right? I'm not saying these are like, you know, hyper conservatives that just don't want to. <laughs> right. Like I think the listeners of our show are pretty open to new ideas of most uh, groups out there, this would be a group that would be pretty open to new ideas. And I think what's difficult about it is um, it's it's just so counter to what we're used to. It's hard to like imagine a church in a system where there's not this, even if it's like a great person at the top or even a country or whatever, like uh, to imagine a great person at the top that's leading it the right way, you know, but it's still that same system of right. kind of top-down leadership, right? Yeah, that's what like for me... Uh we talked about this in the gender series and I, I remember trying to tread really carefully with how I said this and how we talked about it. It was like, if, if all we did was just flip the gender paradigm and like women gained power in society and men, uh, became relatively powerless. Uh, I do think that would be an improvement on society. Like I'm, I'm actually for that if that's the best we could do, 
But at the end of the day, I feel like most good stories like Star Wars and Harry Potter and so many of these stories are like you have a an oppressed group that is trying to come up from their oppression, from their powerlessness, right? And if they succeed, then the question always follows is will they just become the next oppressor like will they just do what they escaped from Hmm. or will the whole the whole game get changed right and so i'm really captivated by the idea not just that jesus liberated jews to be on top of the romans right or liberated the church to be on top of the world but changed the game entirely um and that's that's probably as much as any part of christianity the thing that i can keep coming back to uh, that I could, I could believe in that ideal and I could give my life wholly to that ideal. Uh, even on days where I don't have much faith and I'm not sure if God exists or I don't want any part of religion or whatever. Um, there's nothing inherently needing to be religious about, uh, wanting to, uh, flip, basically flip society upside down, not just to put myself on top and you on the bottom, but so that no one is on a, there is no bottom, right? And no one's on the bottom. It's like continuing to flip that over and over again, right? Totally, yeah. And that, and if that, uh, if that is the hope, then I can get behind uh, all of the sort of like emotional energy around a new heaven and a new earth and this progress and this great act of like God healing the world, if that's what it's going towards, right? Like yeah. if that's what heaven is. Um, then I can at least uh, sustain excitement in it because I've I've seen how beautiful that can be. Um, if heaven is still a hierarchy, uh, then that either means I just try to get to the top, <laughs> right? Um, or I just don't want any part of it. And so I kind of, for me, I kind of have to believe that Christianity at the end of the day is a fully egalitarian, hmm. uh, at least has a fully egalitarian ethos. Um, and that's where like, as it related to gender series, when we looked at the different dynamics, I'm, I'm pretty certain that the only relationship that Paul had any interest in not doing away entirely with the power differential, the hierarchy and the relationship was, uh, old people and young people. That was the one place I think he wanted to, uh, maintain the value of people who have lived a long time, <laughs> the, the grandfather, grandmother generation, um, and ironically, that's just the term elder, which of course has just gotten uh, used today as just another power term, right? Like a, a role you have that's at the top of the, the pecking order in the church. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll, um, we'll put a lid on, lid on? Is that the, <laughs> we'll put a lid on the gender series for, uh, for now. Um, we'll probably come back and talk more about that at some point. The next one on the list, number three is our second Wait, actually hold on can i jump in real quick it'll yeah. be it'll be a quick one yeah yeah okay so uh fourth most listened to was episode 31 authority over her own damn head um i was gonna ask you nate what your favorite episode is that we've done because i think i think this was my favorite episode at least of the non-interview episodes hmm. right <sighs> i remember really liking it but I also have a hard time recalling everything we did. Hold on, let me scroll. Let me scroll. Scroll in. I also plugged my phone in, so we're we're heading the right direction there. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. The gender series was really fun. Actually, I think one of my favorites was episode nine, taking responsibility for our theology. Mm. Um, and it kind of kind of came along with episode ten too, where we got into some stories. But um, that was just uh, 
kind of a new concept for me that like I can, it's almost like giving permission. This is like a bonus one. This is like the 11th of the top 10. Um, giving permission to to think about the implications of the things I believe. Um, that was never something I, I did before. Um, it was, this is the truth and you have to believe it and you have to fit all the consequences of that belief under this heading of good. This is all good because it's the truth, right? And so like, this is where it got into like justifying, you know, children dying and um, kind of the meticulous sovereignty of God and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail or a, down a bunny hole or whatever we call it. Um, but but that's that episode kind of unlocked this um, this new way of thinking, I guess, in me of like, actually thinking about following the theology I hold, following it down. We use that stream metaphor, like following it down the stream. What does it lead to? Is it leading to good things or bad things? And like the actual definition of those words, not, no, it's actually good that 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 child died because, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Is it leading to actual goodness in the world? Um, Is it actually improving the world? Is it leaving the world better? Um, and, And then examining the things I believe and, uh, and kind of, yeah, taking, what's the word in, in finances when you like audit, auditing Mm. my beliefs to an extent, um, and seeing, do they lead to good or bad? Are they hurting people? Are they helping people? And, and having that be an okay question to ask, because that was always a a no, no in my head. Yeah. That was important. That was like a setting a paradigm, I think for, uh, like what we're doing, right? Both in our lives and with the podcast. I think that episode was kind of you and I, I, was that one of the ones where we had to take multiple takes at it? But it was you and I trying to articulate uh, kind of what we had been talking through for a couple of years, right? Um, and I think that was important uh, for us to find words for it. It's another one of those where it's like, now looking back, I'm like, at the times when I was, as you were saying, just making the claim like, well, this is true. You know, God said it, Bible says it, whatever. It's true. We have to believe it, whatever the cost. I now look back at that and I'm like, that is like sociopathic. Like, like that was not just stupid. Like that was, that is crazy. That is an absolutely crazy way to live. I can't believe, uh, I did that. It's such a paradigm shift, but until you make it, you know, it feels like that's what you're supposed to, you're supposed to be doing. I think we talked about these on the, um, our episodes with Tim Mackey, um, our recent ones here, but like the church has always done that too. It feels like, but we can't, it's the truth. Like, how can we ever diverge from the truth? And like, but the church has done that. Like, even when we we just talk about slavery, like the church did that. The church used to, the majority of the church used to view slavery as, you know, biblical, um, in that, uh, because that's, you know, the Bible talks about it and talks about it in a positive light, just puts kind of constraints on it to do it in a good way or whatever. But like, yeah, like the church changed on that to where 100, 200 years later, we don't view it that way. And so like if if our four mothers and fathers in the church hadn't had the courage to examine their beliefs and audit their beliefs, then the church probably would have died, honestly, because that the culture would have been so far away from where the church was on that issue that the church would have been, would not have been relevant anymore. And so that's where I like, and this is another bonus episode here, getting into like Brian Zahn's episode where we talked about making Christianity possible. I think that was one of the best things that came from that episode was sort of this like making Christianity possible line that we've kind of um, ran with a little bit. And uh, yeah, it, it feels so heretical, which um, I guess that's why we called the show what we did. But 
that's what the church has always done and really what I think we need to be doing. And, and what it sounds like you said, maybe we'll talk about this in future episodes, that this is what the Bible is encouraging us to do. So um, anyways, we should probably move on home. Be just another quick to disappear. What will I portray? Top three. Top three. Number three. All right, this was episode number two called In the Beginning. Explore and ask some honest questions and be honest with what we're wrestling with. And the reality is I think what we're going to find is awesome. As, as Nate mentioned before, it can be painful to go through a season of deconstruction where it feels like old ideas have to die and therefore old identities based on those ideas or even the, the tribal affiliations of the church communities that we were a part of and attached to, those might have to die as well. But the reality is there's a whole other world uh, to, to be born into. Okay, so, I'm going to pause it there. It, I, try, I was trying to find like a sample that would talk about what we actually talked about in the episode two and then in that first series we did, but um, I didn't. But I think that was a good line just about, um, okay, just to summarize, we talked about how the trying to get our minds into the the minds of those that wrote um, Genesis and then other portions of the Old Testament talking about multiple um, divine beings and kind of this other spiritual realm that that the uh, the writers had in their head. And I think like at the time I was thinking like, this is pretty crazy. Um, and then the Bible Project did a series on it. And I'm like, okay, now it's more people are accepting of it. Um, and it's not viewed as crazy i don't think but i don't know if you have any reflections on that series or on the the clip of what you just said but um go for it well yeah i think uh it's interesting i was gonna ask you uh you weren't i think you were pretty unsure about launching the podcast uh with all this kind of genesis multiple gods what is monotheism i also had tonsillitis so he did i don't remember that (laughs) yes that was that we did we did seven episodes or eight episodes in the shed um, kind of to kick off the whole show and we recorded them all at one time and re- released them in early January. And when we recorded those, yeah, I had tonsillitis for the entirety of all those episodes. So every single time I spoke, every single time I swallowed, it was like one of the most painful things I've ever had. Yeah, it was terrible. Suffering for the kingdom. That's right. And you didn't even know. Are you kidding me? I was like gargling salt water every night. I was up all, I wasn't sleeping. That's how oh, I'm Okay. Anyways. Uh, well, anyway, so you're, I think you're pretty unsure of it. Um, yeah. I think if I recall correctly, uh, clearly I don't remember the tonsillitis part, but, um, part of it is cause it's weird and new. Part of it is because you weren't sure why it mattered. And then part of it is cause you thought we'd probably lose a lot of people with like the nerdy Bible piece. So now looking back, do you, do you think you're right? Are you glad we opened with that stuff? What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm always afraid we're going to lose people with nerdy Bible because I think we will lose people with nerdy Bible if we don't keep it relevant, if we don't like keep it interesting. Like, I think that's just a real, that's a real thing. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously like looking back, I would probably, I can always, you and I could, we could always figure out ways to do things differently um, and critique um, the way we did things. But I think it's good that we open with it, not even so much as what we were talking about, but just the fact that we were like shaking the foundation um, and, and making it okay to shake the foundation because some of the earliest emails we got, I think if I recall, were like people saying, it's so nice that like, we can talk about these things, all these verses that like, yeah, I felt like we're off limits. It wasn't even the content of like what we said as much as people felt comfortable and safe being here and listening and being a part of this because 
um, we were willing to talk about those things and willing to maybe not always have the best answer. And I remember even after we did, I think it was the episode we talked about genocide and the Canaanite genocide. I just ended with like, yeah, it still feels like that's gives me a bad picture of God and doesn't make me, it doesn't leave me with a, a good picture of God, even though we explained it in a different way. I still, I still felt that. And we just kind of ended the show with that. And so not always wrapping everything up with like a, a perfect bow of this is, this is, you know, it all, it all works now. It's all better now. Like being honest with the Bible. Hold on. Someone flushed. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm literally in the garage. So give me uh, two seconds. Okay. Um, being honest with the Bible and being honest with our, our, our feelings and, and yeah, I, I'm rambling, but that's sort of what that made me think of. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I think you and I were in a space where it's like, it's pretty easy for us to be open and honest and not like try to present as, you know, uh, some safe Bible authority or like stay within anyone's bounds. I think that was even part of why we named the podcast almost heretical is like, uh, you and I personally just needed to uh, embrace that in a way and, and acknowledge that to do any podcast asking any worthwhile questions is going to push us outside of people's um, <laughs> tribes, right? But we had come to a point where we don't want to be in any tribes anymore, so uh, so we welcome uh, that push. Uh, but I remember, I think looking back, the reason I wanted to start with the series on all the the weird Genesis stuff. Uh, I mean, theologically, like as people interested in the Bible, the first opening pages of Genesis are just, uh, they're significant uh, in terms of the narrative, but it really was to kind of model, I think what's possible if you get outside your little theology bubble and, uh, and actually (laughs) take an open mind to the text and do some homework, right. Is that these just massive paradigm shifts of like, Oh, like, literally the idea that there is one God is, doesn't even mean what we thought it meant. Right. Like, uh, even on just the first pages, everything we thought we knew could be flipped upside down. Um, and so I think I just, that was a big one and I knew it would be big enough that I think I wanted to put it towards the beginning, uh, just to kind of show what's possible, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why the, uh, authority over your own damn head was one of my favorites is it was like such a Malcolm Gladwell, moment you know it's like malcolm gladwell if you know his podcasters books it all has the exact same arc it's like building to this moment of like everything you thought you knew is totally opposite right it's the dumb and dumber and, moment uh, <laughs> yeah just when i thought you couldn't get any dumber you go and do something like that yeah so it's that moment which is just fun intellectually right like to discover new ideas, to learn you're wrong, to learn somebody else was wrong. Like it's fun and interesting, um, but it should also just like snap us awake from this whole <laughs> like biblicism brainwashing that a lot of us have gone through, right? Uh, that whole thing we were just referencing where you like kind of trained to turn off parts of your brain mm-hmm. um, and to just uh, settle on the ideas as they've been handed down to you. So um, looking back, I'm like glad we did it, uh, even though, you know, I don't know that it matters all that much. Like it matters in terms of if we're interested in what the people who wrote the texts were thinking. Uh, but as I live my daily life, you know, yeah. I'm not sure it really matters. Uh, one thing I remember we talked about that I've thought many times since is 
like when we were looking at all the weird Nephilim and there are these like semi-human, semi-god giants and how that's the background for this whole idea of like spiritual warfare and demons and all that. I'm like, well, it makes it makes me uh, have a bigger, a better picture of God, right? So for instance, in the genocide stuff or, you know, the idea of like Christ as this like victorious conqueror, well, well like, okay, but it's over these like weird alien spiritual beings. It's not over humans, right? Yeah. Uh, it gives me a better picture of God and simultaneously it makes me less willing to believe any of this is real. <laughs> and so it's that kind of weird uh, paradoxical faith shift of like, oh, okay, like I could buy into this God more and more and more. I'm not sure this God is is actually real and exists. Mm. And I just have to live with that tension. And that that very thing I just said is what people like John Piper and them are trying to keep people from feeling, right? That we're not supposed to get to that point and they want to keep us safe in our like really strong faith, even if that faith is in something horrendous. They just want to keep us believing. And I'm like, well, let's explore all the ideas and our belief is just going to have to waffle and, and wane at times. I think the other, if we talk about our early, oh, hold on, wait, let's do this in a second because we have one more from our early series coming up. Mm-hmm. But the next one is number two, episode 20 with Rachel Held Evans using and abusing the Bible. Um, and you actually just said something about turning our brains off. We felt like we had to do that. And I remember talking about that with her. Okay, let me just play a sample. One sec. Question and doubt and struggle. So yeah, I, you know, this, I don't like, I don't like the person I become when I start to just pretend like I believe things I don't believe or pretend to be okay with things I'm not okay with. Uh, that's, that's not really Rachel. <laughs> and that's not a, a fully integrated and healthy way to live. And certainly not a fully integrated and healthy way to experience your faith. It just means at the end of the day, it means we have to be willing to embrace risk. And I think we are very risk averse people. And, um, but faith is a risk. Like you could go down that rabbit hole and find out that none of this is true, or you could go down that rabbit hole and stop believing. That pretty much fits perfectly with what you were just saying. Yeah. Timely clip. That literally was just what we were saying. I remember we both felt a version of like, okay, episode 20, we were a few months in. And when we found out we were going to get to interview Rachel, it was like, okay, maybe we're a real podcast after all. Yeah, no, totally. And she, (laughs) she had been someone that had helped me so much. I'd read, I think all her books up to that point and, uh, she had a similar story of me just, um, you know, being so in, in that world and kind of climbing that in that world a bit and, and teaching in that world and, um, and really loving and appreciating a lot of that world, which is, is my story as well. And, uh, so I was just, yeah, I was like over the moon to be having her on the show. It totally felt like, okay, we're, (laughs) this is a real, this is a real thing. You know, we just have a a best-selling author saying yes to coming on our show. Like this feels like a, a real thing that we're doing now, but Yeah, it was cool. And for me, like, I can still actually vividly remember um, a staff meeting when I was working at the church uh, years ago. And I was never on Twitter or any of that. And so I, like, kind of knew the name Rachel Held Evans, but didn't know anything about her. Uh, And I just remember uh, she had, like, tweeted something or uh, made some statement. Oh, I think she called out the Gospel Coalition. Oh, you know what? I, I think it was. I hope it was this. It's still probably, I think, the 
the best thing she's ever said, and I won't get it right, but it's something along the lines of just simply saying uh, the gospel doesn't need a coalition mm. uh, to protect it, and just kind of like in a in a quick you know um, poignant statement pointing out the hypocrisy of of one group of a bunch of almost entirely white men deciding that they are the gatekeepers of what the gospel is right and uh, anyway i think that like made a little stir and i remember in the staff meeting uh the lead pastor just being like well like she's just always out to like stir the pot she's just like a troublemaker in church world right and it's so funny because like who knows what that dude said about me over the last year and a half um but now it's just like oh yeah anybody that that doesn't ruffle people's feathers and make uh evangelical churches uncomfortable with i'm super uncomfortable with them (laughs) so uh it was just kind of interesting for me uh sitting down talking with rachel and just like the the dissonance with how i don't know maybe like four years earlier or so in my world in the world that i was perpetuating she was an enemy yep you know and it's just so so silly uh, yeah, I know even like reading Rachel Held Evans or, you know, some of these other authors that we've had on the show, um, they put you in that outside the circle group. You know, it's like I know people that have like had to like hide books they're reading or, or whatever because um, they don't want to get labeled as like outside. They're not they're not ready to take that step that we've taken on the show and so many others have as well of like <laughs> making that step of like I, I don't actually want to be in that um, in that camp anymore, in that circle anymore. Um, for a variety of reasons, but, but yeah, they have to like hide books and, and some of them are like by Rachel Hall Evans. So someone we've come to respect so much, um, yeah, was definitely a, an enemy in the, in our old way of thinking about things. Um, okay. Should we do it? Number one, number one, number one is, <laughs> this is like the funniest thing to me, but like number one is episode three called, why is there a snake in the garden? Uh, I, it's just, it's done incredible it, it, nothing can nothing can top this episode i mean i feel like we could have like it's been number one literally all year yeah i feel like we could have like barack obama on the show or stephen colbert on the show which are <laughs> which are secretly two of my people i'd love to have on the show but um and we still wouldn't top this episode you just can't do it okay so uh episode three why is there a snake in the garden i mean it's kind of self-explanatory what we talked about but here we go yeah i mean Nate, do you think do you want uh, me to do a sample or no oh sh- well uh, maybe I'll ask first. Nate, do you think it's just been number one because everyone <laughs> has always had this question? Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Is it just a pertinent question? Is that it? Yeah, I go there. I think like, okay, search engine optimization, you know, SEO stuff. Is it just like a really good title? Like, I don't know. I, I, but it's, it's, <laughs> I do think there was a phase where you wanted all of our show titles to be questions at some point. I, I, I do and I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I really don't like that, but I think they do better. Like, anyways, I don't know. Okay. So here's, uh, here's a sample. What that fall was, that this fall of divine beings. But who was involved? But they actually come up with solutions as to why and what the motivation was. And one of them goes back to exactly what we were, uh, what we are kind of trying to draw on, which is Adam and Eve were royal figures, royal in the sense that they weren't just everyday folks supposed to live on Earth. They were tasked with ruling. But I said that that whole account is coming in the context of a cosmological worldview where there's a high supreme creator God who has a a host, a heavenly host. Is okay, I'm just, just going to pause it. Um, yeah, do you, do you want to say something about that? Oh, I just, uh, you know, most episodes we do, 
I'm, I can be a perfectionist and self-critical and I always wish I said more or I said something differently. I usually always have like, you know, three times as much content as you allow in. So you usually like cut me off. There's one, this is definitely one of those that we, uh, we never got to talk about how, uh, it's really fascinating to me. And like, there's this anthropological phenomenon where almost every culture, uh, ancient culture around the world had a dragon mythology, hmm. uh, which is, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Cause nobody, no scientists actually think anything like a dragon <laughs> ever existed. Uh, you know, like a big lizard with wings and yet somehow it, uh, predominated in a lot of different cultures in very different places. Uh, but uh, that was one piece we didn't get into is there's usually dragons symbolized, uh, especially in the ancient Near East, uh, symbolized one of these, you know, mythical uh, chaos monsters. And so that's another another reason why there's this snake. There's the whole curse of like uh, the snake gets banished to the dust of the ground. Uh, a lot of scholars think is is basically a an explanation for how a, a dragon turned into what we now see in the world as snakes, right? As there is this curse that it loses its wings and has to slither around. Um, so that was just this interesting uh, kind of mythological, anthropological piece is it's obviously drawing from this kind of uh, Canaanite and, uh, and other cultures around Israel that believe that there was this like big monster. Um, so anyway, here I am a year later throwing it in <laughs> and you know yeah you have to go back and listen to it I, I was hoping i was going to randomly select the part where you just said you want to know why there's a snake in the garden here it is and uh, <laughs> i don't even know if we had that in the episode but i didn't randomly go to it so you just have to go back and listen to episode three okay so that is the the top 10 episodes from 2018 kind of a little reflection a little uh, director's cut director's cut commentary dvd commentary i don't know um on those episodes and uh I don't, yeah, so that's the that's all we had planned. Like, I don't know what to do. What, what should we, how should we wrap this up, Tim? I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd just say, like, thanks if you're still listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both to this episode and to the podcast. This will be um, episode number 50. Uh, so I know for me, doing and hosting this podcast and getting to talk to uh, a lot of you over email, uh, some of you in person in Portland a couple months ago, it's actually been really healing for me and, uh, and really helpful in my own life journey. So, uh, yeah, thanks, especially, uh, thanks to those who support the show. Um, and like, I know sometimes we'll, we'll go dark a little bit, you know, I think we missed a few weeks at the end of the year and then, oh, it was like November, we missed a few weeks and then came back for a bit and then we missed a few weeks uh, around new year's and that'll probably keep happening. You know, I think the reason podcasts do seasons is to basically buy yourself some vacation time and we haven't really done that. So we've just not recorded sometimes. Uh, so sorry for when that happens. Uh, but we're still here and we're still going and don't have any plans to, um, uh, to end, uh, these conversations. And so I think I just say like, we, we still want as much feedback, uh, from you in terms of what would be helpful. What do you want to hear? Uh, if you did listen through all the first season, you know, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? Yeah. I just want to say too, like huge thanks to those who support the show for me this past year. Um, it's been tough because it, it feels in a sense, like, you know, leaving that circle, like I've talked about it, 
being honest about the the questions and the doubts that I have and 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 fully embracing this um, group of listeners that we have here in this community um, that are that are also in the same boat like that's been that's been amazing and so encouraging to hear from all of you and your emails and uh, just voicemails and tweets and Facebook all the different ways that you've gotten in touch has been so encouraging um, but but it has been a really really difficult year in in other ways because on the, on the flip side there have been um, a, a few friends that out of out of concern for me I, I understand that it's um, out of love but have been pretty frustrated by the fact that I do have a show called almost radical where I am talking about these things where I am um, questioning stuff and where we're trying to uh, come to a better understanding of the Bible, a better way to view the world and, and all this stuff. That's where like the Portland gathering, we never really, we tried to reflect and record a reflection episode on the Portland gathering. We just never actually released it. But that's where I just feel like that was so um, validating. Um, and all the emails we get are just so validating because when I actually hear the stories, when I actually hear all of you share what you've experienced, um, and it's not always some crazy big hurt thing you've had. It's just from varying degrees of being hurt by the church, uh, being kicked out of your churches, being fired, being whatever it is. And then also just people who've had their theology change um, and, and haven't been able to believe some of some of the things they used to believe or used to teach. And then getting kind of having to leave or being pushed out of the faith community that they're in. It's often in love, often in like, we're praying for you, that kind of thing. But still it, it does hurt. And it, it and I, I just want to say like, I, I'm there with you on that journey. I've experienced that this year. Um, and yeah, I, I don't really have anything more to say, except um, I'm, I'm there with you on this journey. And, and like we always say, we're here for you and we're here with you. Um, so if you ever want to reach out, our email address is on the website, almostradical.com. Get in touch. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep going and into 2019. And we're really excited about some of the things we have planned. Do you think in 2019, I should say something different at the end of the show, like uh, see ya instead of peace? Oh, that would be nice. Uh, I'll be honest, there's been a couple times you didn't say peace at the end of the episode, and I went and grabbed one from another recording and just put it at the end. So <laughs> yeah, let's change it up. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your support. And uh, if you want more information or have questions, almostheoretical.com. See ya. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>